0: We come into this sacred space, this hallowed hour, made sacred by our presence and intention here. We come with deep gratitude for everyday blessings, for the dependable changing of the seasons as they follow one another, for smiles and waves and spoken greetings, for being with others in worship, for babies and puppies and kittens, and for the wisdom of the old. May these everyday blessings sustain us every day. The words of Reverend Julia Corbett Hemmeyer. I'm Reverend Bob LaValle, and I'm so delighted to be here today with our worship leader, John Eldridge, and our guest musician all the way from Taos, Michael Mandrell. We're so glad to have Michael back again. What gifts he brings. Our DJ today is Tech Arts Director Chris Paul, and our tech team is Chris and Cheryl, William and Michaela, thank you to everybody for co-creating worship today. Our time for all ages is presented by Reverend Megan Lines. And if you're visiting today, we'd love it if you put your name and location in the chat so we can say hello. John has a couple of announcements.
1: We have four announcements this morning. We are delighted to announce that the church has signed a three-year lease with a tenant for the ARC building. Vanguard Behavioral Health is a mental health provider whose work aligns with the church's mission. The income from the lease will support the cost of owning the building as well as the church's work to create a campus master plan. The young adult group meets today as well as every first and third Sunday at 1215 p.m. Folks 18 through 35 are invited to join them in the Arnold Room just across the courtyard from the sanctuary. Last night was Pride Night at Albuquerque Isotopes and hearty folks from First Unitarian braved the rain to attend. Big Thanks to Brianne Stout for organizing. Be sure to read the weekly messenger to hear about future events. Want to make art? You were invited to the church courtyard today following 11 a.m. in-person service to participate in the Prayer Glove Project. This video explains the project.
2: For nearly 12 years, my work has closely examined the role of faith in the human experience. This project is focused on the act of prayer. For this piece, a family from New Mexico volunteered to become the recipient of prayers and positive thoughts for their four-year-old son, Caspian, who suffers from severe seizures. They are seeking wisdom and clarity as they make major decisions regarding his treatment. In May of 2021, I published a public invitation on social media asking people of all faiths, beliefs, and affiliations to contribute one pair of gloves to a collaborative work of art. Their task is to carve out time to sit with a pair of white cotton gloves and mark them with red paint as they form a prayer or affirmation for Caspian. The mark-making process is like a moving meditation, marking words, marking time. I chose white work gloves because they offer rich metaphors for prayer, connection, and compassion the balanced weave of a cotton cloth is a picture of harmony, individual threads working together to form a functional textile. Each pair of gloves is received and recorded, then divided and newly matched to form one united pair of hands made from two unique individuals. Disposable work gloves intended for labor and protection are recharged and repurposed for this project. They become almost sacred as they are worn and painted. I imagine touch DNA from each participant becoming an inseparable part of the cloth. They are subsequently touched by my own hand as I cast and sculpt them, sealing in the combined trace of the hands they once covered. The gloves are hand-dyed with medicinal matter root, an ancient dye that lends a rusty red color. The dyeing process is a ritual itself. Each glove is washed, mordanted, and finely pigmented, allowing a permanent and symbolic transformation of the white cloth. The gloves are then starched over a wooden mold to hold a lifelike gesture and three-dimensional shape, as I want each pair of hands to occupy maximized space, like mummified air. I've received by mail nearly 2,000 gloves from people all over the world, representing 11 countries on four continents, and an astonishing assortment of cultures and beliefs. I recently secured a historic adobe chapel in Santa Fe, New Mexico for the installation and photography of this piece. Once all gloves are prepared, I will suspend them in mass as a temporary installation together with hundreds of brass shepherd's bells over a floor covered in white ashes. Caspian and his family will be invited to walk among the gloves and hear the ringing of the bells, representing the hands and voices of each person who offered prayer for them. The final work will be realized as a photograph of Caspian inside the installation. Once the photograph is made, the installation will be deconstructed and all pieces recycled or repurposed. Gloves will be washed and made into soft cloth again, cut into yarn, and woven into a large prayer rug to accompany the photograph in exhibition. I want to shed light through this work on something that is both ordinary and extremely profound, an undercurrent of benevolence that's often silent and invisible. The work doesn't seek to define, contain, or even understand the act of prayer, only to lend it physical space.
1: Blessed is the fire that burns deep in the soul, It is the flame of the human spirit touched by the mystery of life. It is the fire of reason, the fire of compassion, the fire of community, the fire of justice. It is the fire of love burning deep in the human heart, the divine glow in every life.
2: Unitarian Universalists, people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands.
3: Good morning, everybody. My name is Megan Lines, and along with all of you, I have been thinking about community and how, really, the bottom line is that all of us need all of us to make it. And I um, had an example come to me this week that seemed really perfect. You may have heard of it before, but have you ever looked up and seen geese flying in the shape of a V? The one in front is the the point bird and all the others are flying in formation on the airspace created just behind the, the wing space of the lead bird. And so as a group, the whole formation can go 71% more efficiently and faster and farther, and they function as a group way more easily because they have figured out how to care for each other. So there's some interesting things about this. The one in front goes as far and as fast as they can until they're ready to take a break, and then they swap. So somebody from behind takes a turn, a, a goose from behind, and the whole formation changes. And get this, the geese in the back honk, they cheer. Their job is to say, go, go, you can do it, keep going. We're with you, we're here, we're cheering you on. And another interesting thing is that if any of the geese is injured or hurt or dies or cannot go on at all, and they are they fall from the sky, or they just need to stop and they go down towards the ground, two other geese will accompany that bird and stay with that bird until the goose dies or can rejoin um, up with another flock. And then the three of them go on together. So no goose is ever left alone. And I love this example because to me, it seems that human communities should and can and often do do this when we are thinking really well about each other. We take turns. We don't assume that only one person has the best and the only thinking. We share in a group project and we try to leave nobody out and to take care of anybody who is hurt or falling behind or feeling alone or being alone. The care of the whole allows the whole group to move together towards a shared goal. I love this, I think it's an important way that we can model the best of ourselves and how we can be when we take care of each other and when we honk really loud from behind and when we take turns leading. So I wish you all well as we all consider this this week and um, I, I will always be honking for each of you. Honk, honk!
0: Today is Father's Day, and I wanna share the adapted words of Carol Allman Morton and Evan Carville. On this Father's Day, we, we see you. We see fathers of all kinds. We see journeys outside narrow gender expression, and we see refusals of toxic masculinity. We see the radical idea that men have the full human capacity to nurture. On this Father's Day, we honor those people who have been teachers, confidence, and friends. We acknowledge that it is not biology that makes a parent, but love and attention. For those of us who have lost a father or a child, we hold their memories in our hearts. For all of us who are fathers, we ask for continued help in discerning how best to care for our children whether they are five or 50 years old. May the strands of relationship between ourselves and all of creation grow even stronger. May all of us, no matter our, what our place in the cycle of life, experience nurture and love. And may we pass that love on to those we encounter on our own paths. As we roll the candle video, I invite you to light a candle at home and share your prayers about fatherhood in the chat.
1: We are not isolated beings. We are connected in mystery to the universe, to our community, and to one another. Please use the chat bar to share what is on your heart and support others as they share what is on their hearts. If you're not able to use the chat bar today, please contact the church office or email caring at uuabq.org. The video will prompt us first to share our joys and then later our concerns.
4: Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves our soul. Grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Amazing Amazing grace I've often found in quiet waters, and skies of earth and forest darkness, in one small birth, on eagles' wings.
0: these we lift up to the great powers of celebration healing and renewal known by many names we lift up juneteenth and celebrate the end of chattel slavery in the united in the united states may we remember how much farther we need to go to arrive at true liberation we give thanks for this gathered community may we be companions to each other on our journeys We give thanks for rain. May we never forget that water is life. Let's pray together with the words of Reverend Gretchen Gretchen Haley. Bless today, your hesitancy, your shy shrug, your behind the scenes skepticism, your sweet stoicism. Bless your boredom and your anxieties those worries that will not quiet no matter the mantras, the metas, or the meditating moments. Bless your impatience and your butterflies and your brash tone and your desire to talk to no one, to care about nothing, to be invisible and invincible, to be already perfect and with ease, of course. Bless your shame, your self-doubt, your inner critic, and all your coping and your coping techniques all of them whatever they may be bless most of all your broken heart and all the longings that made it so bless your grief your anger and your still pressing hope all of these we bless all of ourselves we bless in this gathering made holy by our wholeness, this community made sacred by our scars. Let us be blessed. Let us be a blessing. There we are. Peace be with you.
1: Today's reading is titled All That We Share is Sacred by the Reverend Andre Moll. As background, this blessing was written in honor of two Unitarians, Martha and Waitstill Sharp, who during World War II dared to risk their own comfort in order to help save the lives of those in desperate need. As we gather together, may we remember when you share with me what is most important to you, that is where listening begins. When I show you that I hear you, when I say your life matters, that is where compassion begins. When I open the door to greet you, that is where hospitality begins. When I venture out to bring you to shelter, that is where love begins. When I risk my comfort to ease your suffering, when I act against hatred, violence, and injustice, that is where courage begins. When we experience the full presence of each other because of our shared humanity, because of our differences, that is where holy gratitude begins. May this space be a table that is not complete until all are welcome. May this table be a space of beauty where together we create a series of miracles and where all that we share is sacred. May it be so.
0: I became a Unitarian Universalist in the early 90s when I joined a small UU church in my neighborhood in Boston, Massachusetts. In that church was a young couple with two little girls. And a few years after I joined, the mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. The church, a small congregation of about 100, sprang into action, providing food and rides and childcare, and cleaning their house right down to scrubbing their toilets for them. Fortunately, the mother never recovered. A month or so after her funeral, her husband was back at church, and the little girls were back in the religious education area. And During the service, the husband got up to speak to the congregation, and he began to weep. He did his best to thank the congregation for all that they had done, And he concluded by saying, You are God's people, and your hands are God's hands. Now, as Unitarian Universalists, we need to translate that God language into the words that work best for our own personal theologies. I like to think of what he said this way You are love's people, and your hands are love's hands. But however, we each receive that story in our hearts. It's a story about the power of congregations at their best. You know, I I grew up in a large suburban Roman Catholic church and the congregation there felt somehow corporate, like there was a transaction going on. It felt like a large group of individuals who were each punching their communion ticket every Sunday. So for, for folks who may not be familiar with Roman Catholicism, part of the Sunday service is lining up to receive a thin wafer from a priest or a deacon. And I particularly love the folks who would get up and go to the front to receive communion, and instead of going back to their seats, would just keep on going right out the door to beat the rush in the parking lot, even though the service was very much not over. It's like, later, God! <laughs> this is an example of a consumerist church. Consumerist churches are a concept that applies across denominations. And there are a variety of definitions, but I'm thinking of a church where there is a kind of transaction between the individual congregant and the lay and ordained leadership of the church. This is where a person comes to a service and they get their little fix of piety and maybe makes a donation, but that is the extent of the relationship. Like one of the most glaring examples or indicators of consumerism is the person who reads through the sermon topics ahead of the, at the beginning of the month and decides whether or not to attend based on the blurb. It's like choosing a movie to watch on Netflix rather than allowing oneself to be carried in the current of the larger church. In a non-consumerist church, people come to a place where they are open to being changed by what they hear. They understand their commitment to each other they understand that their membership in the church calls them to be in relationship with other congregants to see them as whole people and to love them even if they don't like them to love them even if they don't like them and they understand that a congregation is an act of open-hearted co-creation just like sun and soil and water and bugs co create a garden, we co create a religious community where we all show up and do our part. And just to be fair, there are Roman Catholic churches with congregations of deeply caring and committed people, despite the sexism and homophobia in their theology. Like whenever I go over to St. Therese on 4th, I get that feeling. You might remember when they, they put up a nativity scene for Christmas a couple of years ago, they had the traditional Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, but they had them in a cage made out of chain link fence. It was a statement about how this country treats migrants. The diocese was not amused and forced them to take it down, but the point was made. And that is a committed religious community. So why are religious communities important? Even in the most calm of times, being a part of a religious community enhances our lives. It's not to say that being a member is easy. One thing I often say to new members is that church will break your heart. The institution doesn't set out to do that, but we bring the most unguarded places in our hearts to this place, and it is, in the end, a human institution human and flawed and messy. Whenever I say that, people still come back to church, so I guess it's not too terrifying. But regardless of church, life is hard. Every life is hard in its own way. We all need healing. This is a place where that might happen. My former seminary president, Lee Barker, used to say, church is for suckers. But you know what? We're all suckers. He's not saying that we're all dumb people waiting to be duped. He's saying that each of us is good as we are, and that we could also use a little work. That's one of the benefits of church in normal times. But these are not normal times. These are challenging, even dangerous times. And I'm fully convinced that things will get worse. But one of the things that will buffer us as we go through this storm is a strong religious community. We need to prepare ourselves to look out for the most vulnerable among our ranks, and also the most vulnerable out in our community. We need to prepare ourselves to take care of each other. Now, this isn't the first time that Unitarian Universalists have had to step up on behalf of the oppressed. And I want to tell you a story, and I'm going to read from an article in the UU World magazine. So on a snowy night in Prague, Czechoslovakia in 1939, Martha Sharp jumped from a taxi, darted around a corner, and flattened herself into a doorway. The heels of a pursuing Gestapo agent clicked past her. She entered an unlit apartment building, dashed up five flights of stairs, and rang the bell of a known anti-Nazi leader. Six weeks earlier, Martha and, her, Martha and her husband, the Reverend Waitstill Sharp, had left their young children safely behind in the United States, so they could volunteer for a relief effort in Czechoslovakia, sponsored by the American Unitarian Association, which is the precursor of the UUA. Then one night in 1939, the Nazi army marched into Prague, the capital of Czechoslovakia, and occupied the city. The helping mission of the Sharps instantly changed into a treacherous cloak-and-dagger mission. That night, that March night, a woman opened the apartment door to Martha, denying that she had even heard of the man Martha was asking for. I begged, Martha recounted in the story later to a biographer. I told her there was little time. I produced my American passport. When she saw it, she said in check, A moment and then snatched my passport from me and shut the door in my face. For the next few minutes, Martha frantically worried if she'd ever see her passport again. Her passport was her only ticket to safety. But the door did open, and this time a man stood before her. Martha asked if he was Mr. X, as Martha later referred to him when she told the story. He said that he could give Mr. X a message. She explained that she had been charged by a group of British and American refugee workers with transporting him to the British embassy so he could be smuggled from the country. The man asked her to wait a moment then disappeared into the apartment. He opened the door again, this time wearing an overcoat. He handed Martha her passport and said, I am Mr. X. Together, they walked through the wind and snow across the city. A Nazi soldier stopped them when they reached the bridge over the Vlachov River. Martha produced her passport and confidently announced, Americans! They were waved across the bridge, then stopped by another soldier on the other side. The passport trick worked again. Just steps outside the British embassy, a third Gestapo officer stopped them. Martha began to loudly complain about the lack of taxis and her frustration at being late for a meeting with the embassy secretary. She flashed her passport and demanded the guard tell the secretary, Mr. and Mrs. Sharp are here. He waved them ahead to speak to a British guard, and Martha and Mr. X walked into the embassy to safety. Martha then returned to her apartment, where her partner, Waitstill, was returning from a similar mission. And they watched out their window as Nazi soldiers looted Prague stores and warehouses. Now, that was some brave cloak and dagger action, but I want to emphasize that while the Sharps were undoubtedly courageous, they succeeded because they were part of an organization. It's the group efforts that mattered. The rescue of Mr. X is one of the hundreds that the couple orchestrated, helping Jews, non-Jews, intellectuals, political leaders, writers, artists, and children flee to safety from the Nazis. And in 1940, they established what is now the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, one of the world's leading voices for international justice and human rights. Who needs rescuing today? Who needs protection? Right now, when I look at the increasing violence against queer and trans folks, I feel like we're Germany in the 30s or Rwanda in the early 90s. Parts of this country are taking huge steps backwards in the treatment of queer and trans folks. And the laws being passed in states like Florida and Texas, to me, are nothing less than thinly veiled attempts to place queer and trans folks in gulags. And laws are being passed in states that take away a woman's right to control her body, and worse yet, make certain medical conditions illegal. Some people talk about what they would have done if they had been in Germany in the 1930s, well, we don't need to speculate. We can show what we do right now. So, how do they do that? How do we do that? Sitting here on June 19th, 2022, it's hard to be clear about exactly what the future holds. In fact, if there's anything that the last five years have taught us, it's that whatever the future is, we're going to be surprised by it. So, we have to prepare for the unknown future by practicing to be a community. Of mutual aid. What do I mean by mutual aid? I want to share the definition created by Joel Islar. Mutual aid is when everybody, everyday people, get together to meet each other's needs. And they do that with the shared understanding that the systems we live in are not meeting our needs and that we can meet them right now together without having to pressure power structures to do the right thing. Mutual aid is not charity, but the building of new social relations where people give what they can and get what they need outside of unjust systems of power. Mutual aid is a core component of who we are as humans. It is a way of living. It is moving beyond the idea that we should compete for resources and depend on sources of power to provide for us when actually we are capable of doing that together. That's the end of the quote. And we here at First Unitarian do that now with our food pantry and Family Promise and Albuquerque Faith Works and the care team and caring cooks. We have the minister's discretionary fund where generous folks create a pot of money that the ministers can share when someone is in a financial jam. So developing our own networks of generosity is practice for a difficult future. I know that there are many more untapped talents out there. We need warriors. We need advocates, cooks, and caretakers, and poets, and musicians, and so much more. A few weeks ago, in a moment of irrational enthusiasm, I ordered 28 cubic yards of mulch and compost to improve the soil in my backyard. I actually had no idea how much that really was. So imagine my surprise when not one but two dump truck loads of mulching compost were dropped in my driveway. It filled the entire driveway. Knowing with a sinking heart that I had bit off more than I can chew, I started the long process of bringing it all back to my backyard, one wheelbarrow at a time. And I did as much as I could, which was not much at all, and then called it a day. Well, that evening, my doorbell rang, and there was a man there with an adorable puppy. And the man said, hey, I see that you have an enormous job to do here. And I'm actually between jobs. And I'd like to help you out. I'm not looking for money. I just want to be a good neighbor. Well, that guy worked for the next five days schlepping compost and mulch. He pretty much did the whole job by himself. And every day I begged him to take some money and he constantly refused. On the last day I tried one more time to pay him and I got I got a little pushy and he just looked at me and said, "Why don't we just leave it for God's eyes?" I told Angela that story and she said to me, "Sometimes people are angels without realizing that they're angels." Sometimes people are angels without realizing that they're angels. The times ahead are going to challenge us individually and as a community. We're going to need angels. We're going to need Martha Sharps. We're going to need to be the hands of the divine. We're going to need all of us suckers pulling together and looking out for each other and looking out for the most vulnerable among us. I believe that our Unitarian Universalist faith will carry us through. I believe in this religious community. I believe in you. May it be so.
1: Generosity is one of the spiritual values we recognize as central to both our personal and our institutional well-being. You are now invited to participate in the blessing of giving as part of the offering. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. Family Promise of Albuquerque, our Change for the Future recipient for June through August empowers families in Albuquerque and Rio Rancho who are at risk of homelessness or who are currently experiencing homelessness. Their clients are supported as they achieve sustainable independence through a community-based response. Volunteers from First Unitarian have supported Family Promise for many years. If you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include change for the future on the memo line, if applicable.
0: What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian, and thanks on behalf of Family Promise. Well, we're coming towards the end of our service, if you'd like to talk to folks in your your, your fellow congregants, uh, just stay on, the, stay on the call until the end through the credits, and we'll place you in a breakout room. And wherever you are, I invite you to ponder this question, and that is, how can this church protect the most vulnerable? How can this church protect the most vulnerable? Before we do that, though, let's do the Pacham greeting. I invite you to change your view from, from speaker to gallery. See each other's faces. Let your faces be a blessing. One hand on your heart. Other hand, reaching out to your community. Blessed be. Let's extinguish our chalices. Let us be blessed. Let us be a blessing.
4: Go in peace and practice radical love.